0: Hi, and welcome back to This Week in Voice, our second week on YouTube. This is Season 3, Episode 16. My name is Bradley Metrock. I'm CEO of a company called Score Publishing based in Nashville, Tennessee. Our sponsor for this episode is Magic & Company, a premier agency that has helped many top brands find their voice. A diamond sponsor of the 2019 Alexa Conference, Magic and Company's Ben Fisher, spoke on the the necessity of marketers to be thinking about how best to represent their organizations in this new voice-first era. We recommend them for any company looking to create a voice experience or brand extension within these nascent IoT ecosystems. If you don't know Magic and Company, I don't know what you're doing. Stop the podcast. Go to Google. Look them up. Hit them up on LinkedIn. You'll be glad that you did. We are thrilled To have a fantastic panel of guests on the show today. Our first guest on the show is Rachel Badish of Audio Burst. Rachel, say hello.
1: Hi there. Thanks for having me here.
0: Thank you very much for joining us. So Audio Burst is one of those hidden gem companies that are in this growing constellation of voice first stuff, (laughs) to be technical. Um, Share with us what you do um, and share with us uh, who you are. Yeah,
1: sure. So hopefully not so hidden from now on. Um, audio Burst is making audio searchable to make it you know simple or, as you said, uh, technical. Um, we are the first and only for now uh, search and discovery engine for anything that is audio content. So basically what it means is that we are listening constantly to hundreds of radio stations, thousands of podcasts, We index, transcribe, segment in real time, all of that content. We're talking about 5.5 million minutes a month and actually making it searchable for anyone who would like to uh, receive content from uh, real media. Um, Our solution is integrating with cars for an in-car experience of search and actually having your own personalized playlist for content. Um, So just like we're not... You know using the radio anymore to listen to music uh, we will use audio bursts to listen to our daily content and evergreen content in the order that we would like to have and also specifically on the topics that interest us Um, so right now we um, are we started also working with third-party apps that are integrating our um, apis and making content um, playlists available for their users And we will be presenting in audio, uh, sorry, in uh, Voice in the Car Conference also um, in April.
0: We're excited to have you there. That's going to be a great event, Voice of the Car Summit. I didn't promote it myself. Thank you, Rachel. (laughs) Uh, Although I uh, normally don't need an invitation, uh, the Voice of the Car Summit will be uh, Tuesday, April the 9th out in San Francisco with Audio Burst. Honored to have you all join us. Honored to have you join us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Our second guest on the show is Mark Webster of Adobe. Mark, say hello. Hello. Mark, thank you for joining us. Uh, This is your second time on the show. Uh, Honored to have you back. Uh, When we had you before, you were uh, hailing from SaySpring, which was acquired by Adobe. Walk us through who you are, what you do for Adobe, and maybe a little bit of your journey between then and now. Um, Paint us a picture on what
2: you do. Sure. Uh, It's exciting to be back. Uh, So my background is in product design, and uh, I had spent most of my career building different digital experiences. Uh, And sometime around 2016, I started to work with Alexa and realized that we needed design and prototyping tools. The creative community didn't have access to the medium of voice and audio to use in their work. Uh, So I came up with the idea for SaySpring. We uh, launched SaySpring built up the team, uh, and was a pretty quick journey. We joined Adobe last April, about a year and a half into the business. Uh, and then here at Adobe, you know, sort of the same mission of uh, bringing the creative community, you know, access to, to voice. Uh, in October, at our big annual uh, Creative Cloud Conference, Adobe Max, we introduced voice prototyping into Adobe XD, which is Creative Cloud's solution for design and prototyping. Uh, and, you know, we've been uh, working on rolling out additional features in XD. And, you know, over time, I think you're going to see some big and exciting things in the world of voice and spoken audio from Adobe. Such a tease. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Mark, thank you very much for joining us and being part of this, this with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. With that, we'll get to the news. Story number one. Our voicebot.ai story of the week, voicebot.ai giving voice to a revolution. I say this every week. I'm probably going to keep saying it every week. Great news and commentary site for voice. If you don't know what that is, uh, you are um, not doing yourself a favor. Alexa Accelerator, powered by Techstars, is back for a third cohort. So this is welcome news. This comes on the heels of um, having. A panel at the Alexa conference, where Rodrigo Prudencio of the Alexa Fund and two of the companies uh, Pulse Labs and Jargon that have been part of the first and second cohort, uh, respectively, of the accelerator, um, were on stage talking about their experience with it. Um, this is uh, this this is good to see, um, and and certainly some big news. Rachel, I want to start with you um, as you. Um, looked at this announcement, and from your role with Audio Burst, um, look at what Amazon's doing to invest in voice in this way. Uh, They're investing in voice in many ways, but investing in voice in this way. Um, Share share with me in the audience your thoughts um, just as it relates to Amazon's ecosystem and you know your thoughts on just the the value of this sort of investment in young companies and startups um as voice continues to grow
1: yeah so i actually think it's it's really great that um amazon is continuing with the um with the accelerator acceleration program that they uh, they started offering uh, one and a half years ago i think it was the first cohort um and again it proves only that Um, you know, both Amazon Alexa or Google Home, um, and as we can see actually Siri, um, they just can't make it by themselves. So there has to be some kind of an ecosystem of other innovative companies offering services that are complementary to what um, those big brands are are offering. And I think it's, it's actually very clear to see how, you know, Siri that is not doing it and, you know, doesn't let us go in, doesn't let us do the stuff that we would want to do uh, just like it's done on Alexa and Google is kind of disappearing from the market or at least not ramping up as, as we usually expect from, um, from Apple devices. Um, so I think, I think it's a good sign for developers or, uh, voice companies that are now on the rise. I think it's also a good signal for, um, uh, investors again, to see that Amazon Alexa continues to, uh, um, support those, uh, those initiatives and that voice is becoming one of the things that we're still investing in. Um, I think from investment perspective, we do some, we do see some investment in the voice industry, but due to, you know, kind of low ROIs for now, investors are still very, um, um, I would say sensitive to voice companies, um, so just having Amazon actually putting you know, more effort into uh, uh, new companies, new initiatives, I think, I think it's a great sign. Having said that, knowing Amazon, I'm also a little bit afraid um, for the voice companies. Um, Amazon is being very aggressive with adding more and more functionalities that other companies, um, you know, young companies were, were offering and now it's part of the Amazon offering. Um, so I would keep my eye open when I um, go on that cohort and uh, take advantage of that great ecosystem.
0: It's an interesting point. We haven't seen the equivalent of an Alexa Sherlock scenario, I don't think, yet. Uh, no, well, actually, that, actually, that's not entirely accurate, but we'll come back to that. Mark, your thoughts?
2: Yeah, so in general, I'm a big fan of accelerator programs. The Alexa accelerator is powered by Techstars, uh, I had a startup prior to SaySpring that we had run through TechStars. Uh, SaySpring was run through an accelerator program here in New York called ERA, which was amazing. So I think it's a really good way to get the, the flywheel spinning of uh, a startup ecosystem around the platform. Uh, the TechStars program itself is, is great. It's well-structured. It's well-run. Um, the managing director, Aviel, who they have out in Seattle uh, is, is great. Um, so it's it's good to see sort of it, Amazon putting that focus on the community and realizing that, you know, while there's sort of platform and device innovation that, that they're doing, the need for sort of the layer of startup innovation to sit above it is important. Uh, and they're investing in it. Um, you know, I think I kind of had different, a different viewpoint on Amazon launching their own accelerator about a year and a half ago, because it was coming right out of the Nucleus situation. Nucleus was a startup that had a tablet with a screen uh, that had actually taken money from the Alexa fund. Um, and then the Echo Show came out sort of shortly thereafter. Um, but I think, you know, since then, since that that one feels like an anomaly, um, you know, Amazon has been really supportive. We've seen a lot of great companies come out of there. You know, you mentioned Pulse Labs. Uh, I think what they're doing is really interesting. And I also think that, you know, they've shown themselves really open to working with other platforms besides Alexa as well. Uh, so I think it's a good proof point that, you know, Amazon sees the need to uh, get that ecosystem going to sort of play play nice with everybody, right? We've seen them integrate with Cortana since then, right? So we've seen Alexa present itself much more as sort of a, a, a ecosystem player, and so seeing this third program get kicked off, I think, is, is going to be great for the platform, for users, and for startups.
0: Yeah, the Nucleus was one. And then, you know, it wasn't a, um, um, an accelerator company. But you think about what happened with uh, Adam Marchik, and I forget the name of his company. Uh, Alpine? Yes, where they, they were doing the ads, and then that stuff got shut down real quick. (laughs) Uh, I mean, I don't mean to laugh. I mean, I, I, it's, it's just one of those things, you know, you, you never know, you you can, you can dance with the juggernaut and you don't know if it's going to step on you or not, um, intentionally or accidentally. Um, and that's just a reality all of us in the space deal with.
2: Um, I think that's the game you play when you do startups, though, right? Especially, there's a, a lot of benefits to building a company on top of somebody else's platform, but platforms change, right? In the startup ecosystem, we call it platform risk. Of you know, There were lots of great gaming companies like Zynga that came out on top of the Facebook platform that were built on top of the notifications that they put in the newsfeed. And then as soon as they change notifications, the ecosystem changes, right? So that's, that's part of the trade-off. I think of having a a platform to to play in and to build off of is you accept the risk that things are going to change and you have to, you know, move quickly and adapt quickly to that.
0: I want to ask both of y'all a question about something that I think is the most striking thing about what Amazon has done. It's, it's, you know yeah there's a lot of aspects there's a lot of things you can point to with this accelerator um and, you know over this third cohort now um that are interesting but to me the most interesting thing is the incredible diversity of the companies that they select they um they they have this um incredible sense of self i guess is what i w- how i would describe it on what they want to be doing with this program. And, you know, the first, I think the first company that they got on board was Novel Effect, which has gone on to soaring heights um, and, and still has tons of progress to go, you know, ton, tons of uh, milestones that we'll be able to see out of them. But companies like Sensible Object uh, that produced the first board game enabled with Alexa. Um, and even in the second cohort, like Jargon. Um, which does the localization and translation stuff. Um, it's, it's, uh, they're reaching across all sorts of different capabilities, almost as if they're trying to communicate to the marketplace and succeeding in communicating that, hey, Alexa can do a lot of things. And if you're not paying attention, you might be missing it. Any particular thoughts on that? Do you share? Do you agree, disagree that that's a valuable thing? What are your thoughts? Either one.
1: So I, I'll, I'll start by saying that I think it's a, it's a great change that we are seeing right now comparing to, let's say, three years ago when Voice just started. Um, I was at a different company. I remember when people were telling us, yeah, that's nice, but I don't see the use case. And, you know, we were just bringing them all kind of ideas of, you know, crazy use cases, right, of what you could actually do it. And today, the whole conversation has changed. So today is like, oh, my God, where do we start? There are so many things that we can do with it. So how do we prioritize? Um, and I think that seeing all those kind of different companies joining into the accelerator and really offering a full range of, uh, you know, from maybe also a little bit of a hardware and then navigation and then stories, um, I think it brings a good Um, Story to the table also that, you know, voice is everywhere. I always like to say, you know, voice is very natural to us. This is how we talk. This is how we communicate. Um, We kind of shifted into writing and texting. um, And it's funny that we have to learn how to use voice again. Um, especially when we communicate now with, uh, you know, computers, but that's like, it's not going to be hard for us. Maybe it is also hard for us to communicate with other human now, but uh, definitely um, an issue also with, with those computers. So seeing that huge ecosystem and, you know, reading all those stories about different solutions that are coming up that involve voice, I think this is a great sign. I, I really think we're still at the very beginning of you know, just a voice interaction revolution that we're going to see out there um, again, there's the you know very clear use cases um kind of like what we had with smartphones so at the beginning, we had the very clear use cases we were looking for that killer app that is going to change our lives, and we're not going to be able to you know not be with the phone and people are still searching for that I think the the you know, some some kind of quick links, right? So what's the weather? Tell me the traffic, the news. Uh, those are stuff that we like to use. I think car is going to be a huge component of how uh, voice activation is actually being used. Um, so anywhere where we're screenless, handless, um, which again, going to be very interesting once we get into autonomous cars where our hands are back, um, and we could look at screens. So it's going to be a very interesting uh, phase to see how that impacts uh, the voice-only um, uh, interaction. But again, going back to the story, I think the more people will you know, let their mind go free with looking for other things that they can connect, um, the better this, this industry will grow. Um, coming from Audio Burst, we, um, uh, we give a whole different perspective. So we're kind of bringing... The classic uh, audio experience into this new um, interactive component. So I think that's that's also thrilling for us um, to connect audio and voice also um, in in that one interaction.
0: Mark, going back a step, you you mentioned as I did Pulse Labs, and just to put a button on this, one of the other things that's interesting, which I think that you can appreciate having been acquired, you know, multiple times, including recently. um, Thanks for that year and a half of work you put in on SafeSpring there. Um, (laughs) um, And I I called this out. I asked all three of them this question at the Alexa conference in the panel. Is it not odd that Pulse Labs had investment from Google and from Amazon? And I, I always get it mixed up which one came first. But there was a ton of potential. I mean, that stuff gets weird all the time. You know, an investor doesn't like another investor on the cap table. They take a walk if, if it's, if, you know, they, they walk for less. And yet, even with as much as Amazon and Google have on the line with the success of Alexa and Google Assistant, they both co-invested in a company, you know, and I think that's, I, I think that's
2: uh, noble. Your thoughts? <laughs> I like the noble piece. Yeah. Um, I, so my personal experience is I think it can be risky to take corporate venture money, depending upon like who the investor is and what the space is. Um, so because, you know, it, it, it then goes down to if Google could potentially be an acquirer for your company, right? How do they feel with Amazon being an investor? Right So I think it can be dicey. On the other hand, it allows you to create a relationship with somebody who could potentially be an acquirer and could potentially help you in ways uh, that only some of these big players could.? Right? So Adobe has a design fund. You know we invest in companies or in um, various spaces. I mean, I think one of the benefits of Adobe is like we have kind of had this history of being platform agnostic. So I think we're kind of in a good place. But when you look at sort of what's happening in big tech, I mean, everybody's sort of racing after the same spaces, right? Everybody has a cloud strategy and is going after a cloud strategy. So there's bound to be some overlap. And so I think that for startups, you just have to make good decisions and accept those trade-offs, right? I'm sure Google has acquired plenty of companies that were built on top of AWS, Right. Like it's just kind of the reality of where we are, I think, with a big tech world. And to be honest, you know, something like a strategic investment from Amazon at the end of the day is like pretty small potatoes for them. Right. So the the conflicts that are going to come out of those kinds of co-investments are so, so minor compared to sort of like the broader ecosystem of how the stuff is playing out that I would I would be surprised if. There's been some deal that felt close that ended up getting shut down because of, you know, a conflicting investment like that. So I think it's sort of both, right? I think it's, I, I think the the more important part is to be really thoughtful and strategic as a, as a startup about who you take money from, why you're taking money from them and like what you think they could bring to the table. Well put.
1: I just want to comment on that very shortly. So sure. I think that, you know, just having an investment doesn't really tell us a lot. So it really depends on the terms and what those terms are actually saying. I think I really agree with Mark about taking corporate money, um, which could be very beneficial in terms of, you know, making the relationship and having that access to everything. I have to say that getting the money both from Google and Amazon, I think is a little bit too dangerous for a for a startup. So to think about it again depending on the terms um it's kind of blocking each other from any option probably of acquiring the company which may be very risky for any exit um opportunity but again we don't know the terms and i trust the founders who are um who have experience um you know that they they figure that out but it is a very unusual and and interesting case
0: It'll be, yeah, and it'll be interesting to watch, too. I appreciate the commentary on that. Uh, we'll keep an eye on, eye on them. It's not going to be hard to do. It's a great company. Story number two, Congress to Google. Hey, how'd you forget about the Nest's mic? <laughs> we talked about this a little bit last week. Um, so, oops, there's a mic in the Nest. Uh <laughs> And uh, Congress now wants to know about it. Um, Mark, I'm going to start with you. Your thoughts, you know, and this article just really speaks to <clears throat> there being some hearings set up and things like that. But if you want to go back in time, you know, if you're familiar with the story, um, if not, we can talk about it. But what are, what are your thoughts on um, this discovery of this microphone in the Nest product line? and um, does it matter, does it not matter, matter a little bit, whatever, and, and then, you know, what do you think about Congress getting involved? You know, tell me, share with us your thoughts.
2: Yeah, so I think there's sort of two ways to look at this. One is sort of the practical piece, and then one is sort of the perception piece, right? So on the practical piece, uh, you know, companies need to ship hardware that is forward-looking, right? So when the Echo was first introduced, you know, nine months later, we found out you could also use it as a Bluetooth speaker. And like that Bluetooth hardware was in there the entire time. Uh, The Echo uh, second generation, the Echo Show second generation came out. Uh, You can use an Ethernet connection instead of wireless. They've never advertised that, but you can plug it into the back. Uh, Right now, there's another scandal going on with Singapore Airlines that all of their in-flight TV screens have a camera in it. And so everyone's kind of freaking out about that. They're not using the camera, right? The hardware manufacturer embedded a camera so that you could also support use cases like, you know, calling, video calling. So we're, we're going to have to have, in a, in a world of fast-moving technology, we're going to have to have uh, hardware that has sort of unused pieces of it that will come into play maybe down the road The question is, from the perception piece, do you tell consumers that? So I think there are going to be some things like a microphone that may freak people out. Uh, You know, I think we're going to find out there's lots of, you know, hardware in our headphones that are going to have another role to play in the next, you know, 12, 18 months. Like there's a lot of sort of forward looking stuff that I think companies just need to make a decision about how they frame why that stuff is there. I think the reason the microphone is kind of freaking everyone out, though, is it really goes to sort of this broader privacy issue that's playing out right around Facebook, around Google, around all these advertising driven business models that are really about, you know, consumption of personal data and then repackaging it, reselling it to advertisers. Right. And so I think that the the, we've probably missed the point where you could ship a microphone and not tell people about it. Uh, I think it's fine to have devices that have microphones in it, and I think it will bring more utility down the road. Uh, but for a Google, for you know, a Facebook, to me, this is really like a soul-searching moment of like, why, is, why are consumers so wary of what you do? And why does Congress feel the need to get involved in this?
0: I like the way that you multiple times linked Google and Facebook together
2: i mean it's it's an advertising business right i mean google is a great company that has lots of other you know platforms and features but their primary business model is advertising and the model of advertising is to collect data and basically package it and sell it to people so how do you get out of some of this privacy conversation that we've been having about these platforms it's a conundrum rachel your thoughts
1: Yeah. So I think Mark pretty much described it. So I think the issue is not about having those capabilities, but actually presenting them or making them, you know, making the uh, users aware that those are out there. I think that we are getting used more and more to the fact that our devices are listening to us, have capabilities of seeing us. Um, I think it's just a matter of transparency and, you know, with all the scandals with, with Facebook and, and, issue in privacy and gdp i think it's very important for those companies to understand that it could get there where users will say you know what thanks but not no thanks um and it's not because the user wouldn't want to have it but they just would want to be aware of of what they're using so um i know a lot of people who have alexa devices or google home devices and they're muted most of the day um so kind of being afraid, you know, of what information is transferred from from one hand to the other. Um and I have to say I have the same the same fears. And I mean, we have everything from, from Alexa to Siri to uh to the Google Home devices. Um but I think that just like everything else, uh people would just get used to it. Um and also I see I have two little girls, they're 10 and 8 years old, they expect those devices to just have it all. Um, So they clearly don't even consider the privacy issues because they're very young. But I think as they grow, they expect to have that conveniency that those devices hear you, understand you, transcribe you, and know everything about you to make your life easier. So it just might be also a generation phase.
0: You know, I was shocked when Keisha Williams, who keynoted the Alexa conference, Phenomenal speaker um, and a noted speaker for the um, impact that technology has on women and minorities. Um, she, as, as her full time gig, is a software development manager for Chick fil A based in Atlanta. I had her on the show. Oh, she's an Alexa champion, by the way, uh, that mm-hmm. anointed thing that Amazon does, and several other recognitions she's received. Um, you know, she talks freely about. Um, the role that Alexa has played in, you know, she's worked with her daughters to create Alexa skills. And that's been a bonding experience. She also in the same breath will tell you that at night she unplugs all of her Alexa devices, including, especially out of her children's rooms. So I had a, had a podcast with her this last year and I just said, wait, stop. (laughs) What? And uh, you know, it's, it's remarkable that, in a sense, we've gotten as far as we have without somebody slamming on the brakes, like a Congress, they're good at that, one of the few things they are good at, good at I guess, slam on, slam on the brakes and say, um, what are you doing? Well, what is this? <laughs> and force... Uh, You know, as we've seen over and over again in some very noted hearings over the years, you know, tech folks to explain in layman's terms and actually probably several layers beneath layman's terms on how these how these things work. And um, it's interesting, you know, Mark, to hear, you know, you sort of conflate Google and Facebook. And I think that's something we're seeing here is that the longer this story lingers, You know, it's my perception, I don't know if other people share it, I assume they do, that Facebook is an awful company um, that has almost no validity to exist whatsoever. And it was born born bad, if you know the history of the company. Google was born good, I think. um, And yet, you know, we've talked on the show numerous times, Facebook is not going to be allowed to put a smart speaker in people's homes because people don't trust them. Google, you know, the don't be evil stuff and, and the, you know, the the company's done a lot of good things. Um, but they're in this nebulous gray zone where the, you know, from a marketing and branding perspective, a perception perspective, as you put Mark, um, it can swing either way. And I think what we're learning, which is sort of a surprise to me is that this story is lingering. Congress has called these hearings, which I actually thought was surprising. Um, and maybe the perception of them is a little bit different than we thought. And um, from a marketing standpoint, you know, Google better get these folks working overtime to try to nip this thing in the bud or else people will start to conflate Facebook and Google more and perception will change. And um, even though Nest was not an, an acquired company and not necessarily fully ingrained in the Google way of doing things, I, interesting time for Google, interesting time for the sector as a whole. Um, that's the way I look at it. Any closing thoughts on that?
2: Yeah, I, so, t- you know, sort of two thoughts on the, on the device side, you know, we, everyone has these concerns about a microphone in the home, but we all carry around a smartphone that has GPS with us, that it has a microphone that has a camera, and we don't have those same concerns, right? We spend most of our day sitting in front of a computer with a camera staring back at us. Uh, so I think that, you know, I, I actually think that this is where some of the, um, like personification of voice assistance has created this like Alexa's listening versus my phone listening. Uh, and then the second part is again, you know, not, not to conflate the two companies or the, the morality of one versus the other. Uh, but that's the model of that's the business model of advertising, right? Google knows every single thing you've ever searched. Uh, we all have Gmail for free because they are looking at all of your messages and targeting advertisements towards you. So like that is the model of advertising. That's why those two companies suck up almost every ad online ad dollar out there. Right. So I don't think it's a, a, to me, it's not a morality issue. That's a business model issue. Right. And I think they're going to have to deal with that perception. I think a company like Google has a lot more routes and options to sort of both shift value and shift their business model, but also shift perception. I don't know what Facebook does, right? I don't think anyone's going to pay for Facebook. So monetizing your attention is really all they got. So I don't know where you go from there if you're Facebook.
0: Hopefully it's hmm? (laughs) away.
2: Anyway, keep going, going, Rachel.
1: Yeah, sorry. I just wanted to share um, one more thought here. So yeah, I agree. We have our phones and they listen to us and everyone kind of knows that, but, you know, we ignore it. Um, And I actually don't understand how Google gets off with, you know, being criticized or hated um, more than Facebook. I mean, come on, Facebook, uh, I'm sorry, Google is just tracking everything that we do on our browsers, on our, um, you know, experiences when we're online, they know everything. So maybe it is the personalization or personification of those devices that makes us feel like, oh, that's a person listening to us as opposed to, okay, they're just, you know, tracking us. Uh, online, so, so that's, a, I think, a very interesting thought, but I think Google is not or, or isn't less evil in, in tracking us and knowing what we do than, than Facebook. And the second thing about what, uh, how I see the uh, effect of Congress, so I don't know exactly what's going to come up with that, but I think in terms of the public awareness, this is very important. So we, um, just like you mentioned, uh, we just have to be responsible with what we 're bringing uh, to our houses. Um, just like, you know, on-demand TV is is dangerous. I mean, I have kids. They can have access to anything, but we are responsible parents. And, um, you know, currently we have some technologies that can help, help us monitor that. Um, and it's just the same with any other device that we're in home. So maybe that will help with getting the public to be responsible about that. Although I doubt it, I think, uh, people that are more involved in the industry and the technology, they might be more responsible, but I think like, you know, the, the hundreds of million that are using it are probably just going to use it without understanding the uh, implications. And that's why it's important for um, Google and Facebook, you know, to start restraining themselves in some way.
0: Separate side note, you're, you're, you're right about on-demand TV being dangerous. Uh, my wife has access to all 23. Yes, there are 23. I'm so, sorry for knowing that. Seasons of The Bachelor. Um, <laughs> they're so not only for bit. kids. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a waste of the cloud. My God.
2: Um, no, that's, that's great. Mark, did you have a closing thought on that? Yeah, just to throw out maybe a controversial defense of tracking. Uh, I think, you know, tracking sounds sinister, uh, but as long as, you know, it's, it's a trade-off I think many of us have made and many users make, I think it's about expectations. And I actually think in a world of, like, machine learning and AI, uh, companies are going to need a lot more data in order to give us better experiences. You know, I think that when we talk about the variety of companies that are in the Alexa Accelerator, that's actually a reflection of we're in this huge moment of shift in digital experience and in order for those experiences to get much better in order for you know Starbucks to let me just reorder my coffee through Alexa with one voice command it's going to need to know what i order every day it's going to need to know you know the the subway stop i get off of every day so i think as long as the, the the that relationship between the user and the company is like clear and you sort of know what you're opting into i actually think the idea of sort of tracking us is gonna be a trade-off we all make because the benefit of it is gonna be huge.
1: I agree, as well, as long as the benefit is, it's good for by convenience. But we've seen, and it's not only Facebook, it's done by Google and by other companies that our data is afterwards being used for other purposes that are not part of the agreement that we had um, You know, in order to get that conveniency. So definitely, and again, it's about us being responsible and understanding what is it that we're giving up. but.
0: Agreed. Well, put, yeah, appreciate the commentary for, from both of y'all on that. I'm going to combine stories three and four. Story number three Cedar Sinai Hospital uh, taps Alexa for smart hospital room pilot. This is an interesting story. Story number four is from CNET, Ben Fox Rubin, who has been a guest on this show. Consumers no longer think voice assistants are mediocre. So, I want to combine these, not only for time-related reasons, but the juxtaposition of one of the best hospitals in the country doing a pilot with, you know, they don't have unlimited bandwidth. They've got to pick and choose what they do. And here they are doing something with Alexa. And then here's story number four, which is basically, eh, you know, consumers no longer think voice assistants are mediocre um, that's not exactly a ringing endorsement, Rachel. What, um, <laughs> what are your thoughts? What, if anything, stood out more than anything else to you across these two stories? But more importantly, from your position at Audio Burst, um, you are agnostic across the different smart speakers. You're just looking to see where the opportunity is to leverage the capabilities y'all have. Um, what is the state? Of voice assistants and smart speakers, is it mediocre, barely more than mediocre, worthy of Cedar Sinai? Where where are we?
1: So maybe I'll start by connecting the second story to the third one. Um, this is really scary. I mean, I I read the story, and I'm all in favor of having those devices everywhere, especially you know the elderly, hospitals, places where you need to have that connection, and also. Um, it also improves, like it, it makes the hospital uh, staff more efficient. But then again, think about all the data that is collected about your uh, personal health situation when you're in the hospital. So um, I know Alexa, uh, Amazon, Amazon um, are planning HIPAA compliance on Alexa. I don't know if it's there yet, but I think this is a very important thing to, to take a look at. So again, combining the the second and the third story to begin with about being mediocre or not. I think we see great improvements and advancement when it comes to the smart speakers. Um, You know, also for us, if, if, if you guys, I guess also had, you know, Alexa two years ago, um, we would try to tackle it the whole day. Like both me, my husband, my kids, oh, that's so stupid, right? Doesn't understand what we're saying. We're not at that stage anymore. I think we kind of learned also how to interact with it. And it keeps on surprising us back. So a lot of things that we would never expect it to do two years ago or six months ago that is now actually working. Um, so I think that all in all, um People are still a little bit skeptic or maybe um, understand that we're not fully utilizing the experiences. So it's not Hull um, 9000, but we're still getting to the point where it's, it's getting better. It helps us achieve our goals. And I think that examples like, you know, seeing hospitals taking on this initiatives, um, schools, a lot of schools and technology. My daughters, they have a Google Home at class. Um, so I think we are heading and like in the right direction. And I was pretty surprised to see that, um, that article actually, I thought people are a little bit more supportive now of those, uh, uh, smart new speakers.
0: And, And that author, um, who's, like I said, has been a guest on the show is a big advocate for the technology. And even he presented it that way. Mark, what are your thoughts? What a good goal
2: in life to just be mediocre. Um, So to be fair, so Adobe put out that survey and those numbers. Uh, I'm pretty sure the terms were like somewhat well, work well, and the mediocre was the writer's spin. Um, I mean, the numbers are kind of bananas, right? It was 28% of Americans had a smart speaker last year and 36% have one this year. And 75% of those people use it every day. Right. So I think that from the utility perspective, like this chip is 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 left. Right. Like people want this. People want the convenience of voice. Right. And I think to to the earlier point of uh, when we first got these, there was a certain amount of novelty and people were almost kind of trying to break the experience. Uh, But I think as as users have gotten more familiar with it. Uh, and companies have done a better job creating good voice experiences, right? You know, I mean, we came to Adobe to build a design process around creating good voice experiences, so they're continually getting better, both third-party applications and you know the, the core assistants themselves. Uh, so I think it's a good indication of sort of where things are going. Um, I think for the for the Cedar Sinai story, uh, one interesting detail is that company came out of a Techstars-powered accelerator that Cedar sinai did that very similar to the Alexa model. And so it was like a good model of innovation of how to bubble things up, right? And so, you know, to your point, they decided to to do this because they had an accelerator program and had seen sort of that amount of progress. Uh, but, I, you know, I, I think that healthcare is a great, great use case for these kinds of interfaces. You know, and as far as sort of the, the privacy and, and HIPAA concerns there... I'm pretty sure Alexa as a platform itself is HIPAA compliant now for at least HIPAA for business, Um, but um, uh, Alexa for business. But there's also been this big push of digital in general in healthcare, right? I mean, digital medical records is something we've been talking about for a long time. So the digitizing of that information is nothing new, right? So if you think of voice really just as an interface, And like, what's the better way to input stuff into it to give patients access to both services and staff and the things within their room, right? I think like the use case of voice is sort of really shining in that example.
1: I wanna comment on the last part uh, that you said, Mark. So I definitely agree. And I think we see a lot of companies that are uh, competing with Alexa in, in the health industry coming exactly from that point. So we're digitizing, it makes sense. Uh, but make sure to, you know, keep the data in a, in a safe place. Um, I'm not sure whether um, Alexa for Business is already HIPAA compliant. I know they're working on it. Um, but I think eventually we might be seeing more of those competitors in hospitals where the hospital knows that the information is staying where it is. Um, but it, it, it is an interesting, again, story to continue and, and follow. And I didn't know they came out of the accelerator. That's very interesting, too, of course.
0: We will move on to story number five, which is Follow That Bird. I don't know what that's a reference to. I need to Google it and then that's watch it. That's a Sesame it. Street movie. Yeah, Google, Google it, then watch it, please. Um, and I assume it's Bird. I'm gonna, for the sake of that reference, I'm going to call it Bird. It might be Birdie, but I'm calling it Bird. <laughs> bird is an Australian designed smart speaker for children there's a lot of interesting things lurking in this story uh, super interesting to see um, I think there's a lot of different ways you could could uh, look at something like this Mark, I want to get your thoughts um, bird I'm, i don't even know what to say i mean what what was
2: your uh take upon learning about bird yeah i I want to like it. I, I applaud the mission. Um, do any of us think this is going to work, though? I mean, it's a $299 closed garden device that uh, gets its content from this called Seeds, which is very clever, uh, which are priced between $12 and $30. And, I mean, it's, not, it's, it's only really partial, partially a hardware business, right? That's really a content business. And content businesses are hard, right? And licensing good content. I mean, even the writer of that article sort of mentions at the end of the day, like, if it doesn't have Peppa Pig, my kid's not going to be interested, right? And when you look at a device like, you know, the Echo Dot for kids, which is, you know, 60 bucks, which has dropped as low as 40 bucks, which has access to, you know, the wild library of content that Amazon has restricted for children, right? I, 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 I love the idea of creating a, you know, a safer space for kids to interact with digital content. Uh, I can't imagine that this is the approach that's, that's gonna deliver it or it's gonna win. Rachel, your thoughts?
1: Yeah, so um, I agree that the price point is a little bit too high. I'm not sure how the safe side of you know, having something closed uh, will pay off at the end. But I actually want to take a different perspective here about the audio composition of what the, the speaker is actually offering. So very different from the uh, uh, computer voice, even though Alexa is doing a really good job or improving or having Siri as a, as a comparison. I think that the idea of uh, just like we do with audio Burst, the idea of taking advantage of existing content and then personalizing for the specific use case um, I think is very interesting. And actually, I think we're going to see more and more of that. There's so much content in terms of audio that is not being utilized today. And even if you look at the uh, Echo for Kids, um, those are very specific use cases or, uh, you know, areas like games and, and and some songs and stuff like that. But um, really having the audio coming from those channels, whether video or um, Uh, or from like the the YouTube videos or from TV. I think that's a great value that we see. And I think that we're going to see more and more experiences. So audio experiences connected to a hardware. Uh, We see it now with Bose with the new uh, VR glasses that are coming with audio experience that is optimized to you um, and for your needs. Um, So that's the part that I liked about the, the solution. I still didn't figure out exactly how the audio is working without the video if I'm, for example, going to see Peppa Pig. So just listen to it. But then again, I mean, podcast is doing really great and I never expected that for four years ago. So I guess audio is changing. Um, although we are taking a video right now, but people do enjoy listening to stuff without seeing them. So, um, so I think it's a cute, it's a cute stuff. It's a cute, um, toy. I think there are a couple of more like that. Um, price point is pretty high. Uh, but I like the combination of um, audio broadcasted through those speakers.
0: The, the calling the price pretty high is like I don't, i don't be car- I always have to be careful with my analogies. I'm going to piss somebody off. Um, I, I, it's high. <laughs> it's exorbitant. And it, look, I,
1: it's. Yeah, it's high because we got used to buying an Echo for thirty bucks, right? Well, that's right. But. I mean, that's the change. The fact that a uh, hardware cost three hundred bucks wouldn't make us, you know, feel uncomfortable a couple of years ago. But if you could get it for thirty to ninety bucks, right? So three hundred suddenly sounds.
0: You're right. So we're anchored um, by Amazon. What Amazon and Google have done to the market, and HomePod suffered for this exact reason too, um, among all the other reasons it suffered. Um, people don't have the appetite to pay that type of money Mm -hmm. for the basket of functions and features that they think that they're getting, unless something else is explained to them. I did out of curiosity, go and look at the uh, conversion rate to Australian dollars and it's 70 cents on the dollar. So it's still, it's, it's still exorbitant, but, uh, this, um, This is an interesting thing that they're doing, you know, with, um, you know, Mark, to your, to your point with the echo dot kids, I mean, we had a speaker at the Alexa conference, our my so-called contrarian, uh, speaker that I like to put on the program. You know, last year it was the FTC that we had come this year. We had Melissa Campbell of the campaign for a commercial free childhood come who she, who wrote the big article, Parents don't let your kids use or use Echo.Kids. I forget the exact name but something that direct. And uh, it was all over the place. And um, the thing about Amazon, not only do they have access to the content um, that can make this sort of ecosystem possible and not suck, they also have so much on the line. If they don't do, if there's stories coming out about children being exposed, to something that they shouldn't have been exposed to on the Echo Dot kids that you're charging, you know, two to three X, the amount of a normal Echo Dot for um, that you put in all these colorful colors, they might as well just walk outside and set themselves on fire. You know, like they, they're, they pay a huge, tremendous price for a problem with that. A startup, on the other hand, this company creating Bird, if no one follows that Bird, <laughs> then, then then who cares? They go away and, and, and it, you know, everything's all right. It just becomes a footnote uh, in history rather than, you know, a, a juggernaut like having meetings on top of meetings on top of meetings and hiring crisis consultants and all the stuff that would happen with them. I, I, I love it for the standpoint of it shows the movement of the industry, but I think you're right, you know,
2: Mark, you called it. You know, I, I'm, not, I'm not betting on that bird right now. You know, I also think that, uh, you know, personally, I really like Amazon as a company and I sort of trust them to have a filter of, it's not user generated content, right? It's professional content. Uh, So I think there's already a filter there versus like letting your kid interact with YouTube content. Um, But, you know, like, like bundle, unbundle sort of what the Echo Kids experience is, right? Like, do I one, Amazon to have a lot more training data around kids' voices so that kids with mobility issues or motor function issues can have like more accessibility to the world around them? Like that feels like a good mission, right? Do I want to make sure that my kid isn't being exposed to bad content? Yes. And I think like Amazon's professional curation is like the right place to do that, right? So I actually think that there's like a they have a whole, you know, music system that, that has, you know, explicit tags on explicit songs. So they have the ability to deliver music. That's not explicit. Right. So like, I actually think that Amazon is really well positioned to be able to deliver an experience to my five-year-old daughter that I feel comfortable about way more than giving her access to the open internet, right. Letting her use YouTube. Um, so I think there's a lot of value that comes out of a product like that beyond just what is like the entertainment value I'm providing one child when I make a consumer decision? Great point. Great point. Rachel, did you have any closing thoughts on that?
1: No, not much. I think it's uh, the, um, you know, have it, you have YouTube kids, right? It's the same, it's the same path. And I think that um, we do tend to um, just like you said, Bradley, those companies are not going to risk themselves, you know, with, with, uh, um, having, you know, those stories coming out. So I think that we can trust them as long as the creation is done actually as, you know, very professional. So it's not using AI to do that yet because I think that could be very dangerous at the moment. Um, so I definitely agree that if I would trust someone to provide me with, a, with the good content that is not explicit, it will be one of the largest one and not the smaller ones. Definitely uh, agree there. We'll
0: keep, we'll keep an eye on the bird. Uh, <laughs> here or there uh <laughs> over the coming months uh it'll, it'll
2: be interesting to watch um when they go out of business we're like what are we gonna do <laughs> right. all these seeds laying around
1: i actually don't know what's the um um how uh, how popular is alexa and google in australia so maybe you know if it doesn't have the expansion it has here in the u.s those those devices might have a little bit more to offer so uh, well,
0: there, you're right there must be something more to the story for someone to have back this um but, you know, as you pointed out, Mark, you pay 30 bucks for a, a seed. Congratulations, you just paid the price of an Echo Dot for a seed, you know.
2: So, um, that said, it's a, it's a smart team behind that company. I mean, the CEO of that company was a former CEO of Sunbeam for like a decade in Australia. So maybe they see something that, that I don't, that we don't. So it will definitely be interesting to see how it plays out.
0: For, for sure. Um, Rachel? Mark, thank you both for being part of this week in voice for sharing, not just your time, but your experience and expertise with us as well. It's greatly appreciated.
1: Thank you so much for having us.
0: Yeah, it was a lot of fun for this week in voice season three, episode 16. Thank you for watching on YouTube. Thank you for listening and until next time.